The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. As we record this message, I want you to know it is April the 18th. It is tax day. And it's funny how this works. We've been walking through the gospel of Luke for years now, two and a half years. And we come to a passage in Luke chapter 20, verses 20 through 26, that has to do with paying taxes. And it just so happens it is tax day. Now, uh, before we go any further, I want to just address the fact that for some, tax day is like Christmas. If you're a W-2 employee, you turn, you pay taxes, like just huge chunks of your paycheck disappear every month. And then this is the one time a year when you get that check back. But if you're self-employed, if you're a contractor, if you do something like that, this is the time of year that really feels heavy. You're going, how in the world am I going to come up with all this? How can a government ask me for all of this money? I understand. I understand that this season is completely different for different groups of people. But what I want to talk about today is the truth that the Bible does speak about taxes. Believe it or not, it's really right here in our passage today. I want to learn, though, first from one of our founding fathers. Benjamin Franklin, in 1789, he said this, maybe one of his most famous quotes, nothing is certain except for death and taxes. Now, he said that in the midst of a Continental Congress. He said that as people from a recently new America said, hey, we fought a revolutionary war to avoid taxes, and now you're taxing us. This is a problem. And he goes, hey, the only thing you can count on in life is that you're going to die and you're going to pay taxes. You can just count on that. And while we don't teach Benjamin Franklin in the church, the Bible also talks about death and talks about taxes. It talks about death a whole lot more. And in fact, Jesus speaks about death a ton, making sure that we're ready for death so that we might have eternal life. That's a much more enjoyable conversation, honestly, to have, even though we're talking about death, because death is not the end for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's eternal life that comes after our death. Now, taxes, on the other hand, that's a different story. And I have to make sure, make sure to make this clear. I do not make political statements from this stage. That's that's not my point. That's not my intent. That's not who I am supposed to be. I'm supposed to present the word of God in a way that transforms lives. So whether you think that like countries for thousands of years now have taxed people fairly or harshly, whether you think America is one of those countries that, hey, it's fair. I got I to pay for the roads and the, the police and the whatnot. If you think it's fair or if you're one of those that goes, hey, this is just wrong. Shouldn't be touching my money. What's the problem? I'm not getting near that discussion or that debate. I am going to do what I always do. I'm going to go to the Bible. I'm going to hear from Jesus And then hopefully we can land at a place where we all agree what God calls us to do. And in this particular passage, this particular passage in Luke chapter 20, Jesus is being questioned by the religious leaders, but it's a very intentional questioning. 
We're still on Tuesday of the last week of his life. The Pharisees, which are probably the most prominent religious group in Jerusalem, the Pharisees are the ones working behind the scenes to orchestrate all this. But they are going to end up sending multiple groups of people to ask Jesus political questions in hopes that he will stumble over one of his answers and they will have just cause then to go to the Romans who are occupying Jerusalem at this point. They can go to them and say, hey, you won't believe what he just said in front of thousands of people. You won't believe it. He is out of his mind. He's out of line. You need to go arrest him and shut him down. The religious leaders are getting desperate. They don't want anything to do with the Romans. But at this point, they don't have a way to really arrest Jesus and get rid of him. So they're going to plan B. Let's use the government to take care of it. They start at the lowest level. They start with a religious group of people known as the Herodians. Herodians were people who by nature were much, much more progressive, okay? Instead of speaking the conservative Aramaic, they spoke Greek, the worldly language. They were Hellenistic Jews. They loved what the world had to bring, but they were ostracized because of that by the religious leaders. Aside from lifestyle differences, there was a huge divide between the Herodians and the Pharisees because the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with Rome, which is ironic because they're looking to Rome to help them fix their problem. But they wanted nothing to do with Rome. While the Herodians thought, hey, being friends with Rome is a great way to bring about peace and prosperity to our nation. We should probably figure out how to work with them if they're going to rule over us. The Herodians also were huge friends of Herod. Herod was the local governor in Jerusalem. He had a ton of power. He built a palace. He had many people who were underneath him. And the Herodians were his right-hand clan, if you will, that got things done in the city. So the Pharisees go to the Herodians and they say, hey, we're trying to trap this man. He's not good for us. He's not good for you. Can you help us? And they say, yeah, what's your plan? What's your plan? What do you want to do? In Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 20, we start to see how this plan unfolds. They're trying to trap Jesus in a political question. Verse 20, keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies. Now Luke calls the Herodians spies. Matthew refers to them by their name. So that's how we know they're the Herodians. But they pretended to be sincere. They came with great sincerity to Jesus. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so they might hand him over to the power and the authority of the governor, the governor being Herod. They have a great in with him. So Matthew tells us, one, it's the Herodians who are asking this question first, and two, it's the Pharisees who are ultimately orchestrating all of this. They want, they want to trap Jesus. And the Pharisees go to a group that Luke deems as spies. It shows their lowliness. It shows their willingness to bend to whatever needs to be done. Whoever needs something to happen, they're trying to trap Jesus. They start with flattery. They start flattering him. Verse 21, Luke chapter 20. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, teacher, rabbi, that's literally a word there. We know that you speak and teach what is right. 
Huge kudos. And that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Here's what they're saying. You're a person of great integrity. You only speak the truth. So however you answer our question, we can, we can know, we can take it to the bank that it is truth. They're saying you aren't swayed by man like so many others. You're not political like so many others. You are not swayed. You don't show partiality. You don't care if you offend a few people because when you speak, it's truth. You don't give your opinion You only speak in accordance with what God tells you to say. When you speak, we know, we can know that God is behind your words. I mean, you hear the flattery right there. They really, really butter his bread. They they are making sure that when they ask the question, whatever comes out of his mouth, the answer, everyone has to agree that it is truth. But on the surface, it's a trap. There's no flattery there. They're just setting up the crowd so that whatever Jesus says, they can know, well, hey, you speak on behalf of God according to your own words, and you just said this. It's a trap. And here's the question, okay? We get to the question finally. It says this in verse 22. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay taxes to the Roman government us Jewish people, or should we not? That's the question. It's a really simple question. But if Jesus says no, if he says no, don't pay your taxes, the massive crowd listening to him would have erupted in love for him. That's what I'm talking about. I hate paying a third of my income to Caesar. He doesn't deserve it. He's a pagan. He doesn't revere God. This is who I'm talking about. This is why I'm sitting here listening to Jesus right now. He's our guy. They're also offended, the Jewish listeners in the audience. They're offended because of the actual coin. The the Roman coin, it had two sides, just like our coins have two sides. On one side, here's what it reads. Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Augustus Caesar, you maybe heard that name. On the side of the coin, it says that Augustus Caesar is God. They don't don't like that because there's only one God, and we know that to be true. It, It would be hard to carry currency that had that on one side of it. But then on the flip side, it said also he's the most high priest. And every Jewish person there in Jerusalem with the temple right beside him is going, hey, We have one high priest, and it's not Tiberius. It's not Augustus. The high priest is who God places in that that role. So you have a coin that draws a ton, a ton from religion, and none of it's true. So if Jesus were to say, no, do not pay taxes, the masses would have loved him. They would have loved him opposing taxation. That would have given him a huge boost. But the minute he says, no, you don't have to pay taxes, the Herodians who were asking the question would have gone back to their friend, Herod, who would have gone to his friends in the Roman government and said, hey, this guy, he's an insurrectionist. He's trying to tell all of his people, and he's got a bunch of them, not to pay their taxes. You've got to go take care of him. And they would have. 
They would have taken care of him in a minute. You can't do that in Rome. So if he says no, he's dead. But if he says yes, pay your taxes to Caesar. If he says that, if he says yes, then many of the crowds would have left him. Many of his supporters would have walked away because they believe that their Messiah, their promised one, their Savior, would never allow the people of God to be taxed, to be oppressed by such a nation as Rome. No, no, no. We, we don't have to pay to them because they're pagans. They, they don't follow God. The, the Messiah is supposed to overthrow the shackles of Roman domination. They, they can't allow that. The, the Messiah would never allow that. So they've really worded a perfect question in just a few words. Hey, taxes, pay them or not? What do we do? Jesus knows their hearts, though. And he's not foolish enough to fall into their trap. So here's what happens. Luke chapter 20, verse 23. He saw through their duplicity. He saw through their attempts to trap him. And this is what he said to them. Now, I want to read from Matthew's account just because Jesus says a few more words here that Luke does not record, but Matthew does. Matthew 22, verse 18. Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Hey, you Herodians, you're hypocrites. You play both sides. You don't have a dog in this fight. You don't care. You're actually being the puppet of the Pharisees. Why are you trying to trap me? Why? When we know longstanding, your allegiance is to Rome. Your allegiance is to Herod. We know that. Why are you coming to me asking this question? You know the answer should be yes, pay your taxes. But why? Why are you trapping me? Jesus goes on before they have a chance to answer. In verses 24 and 25 of Luke chapter 20, Jesus says, hey, can you show me a denarius? Can you show me a Roman coin, please? Now, we could read right over that and miss how beautiful Jesus starts his response. He says, hey, do you have any Roman money on you by any chance? You, you, you hate the fact of this occupation, but do you, do you happen to have a Roman coin and someone without thinking just grabs in their pocket and throws him a coin? And he holds up that coin then. Jesus didn't have it on him. He holds up that coin whose image and inscription are on it. Now, at this very moment, the Herodians know that they've been beat. Now, we don't. We don't see the end. But they know, oh, snap, that's good. He's, yeah, that, that was masterfully done. We just threw you Roman money and now you're using it as your answer. Wow, you, you just walked right through our trap. Whose image is on it? They have to reply, Caesar's. Verse 25, he said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Jesus is not walking the fence here. Jesus isn't sidestepping the question. He's answering their question. He's answering their question, and he's doing it incredibly well. Whose inscription is that? Whose inscription is that? Who is on the coin? Caesar is. 
Okay, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. I love his answer. His answer is perfect, and they can't do anything with it. It's pure logic, but it's still profound. Jesus implies that taxes are obligatory. We're going to have them. Stop trying, stop trying to get out of it. We're going to have taxes. We must give back to the government just as surely as we must give back to God. It's all part of being a good steward. We don't get to make these decisions on our own. Luke chapter 20, verse 26. They were unable to trap him in what he'd said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. It took about 20 seconds for an uneducated man from Galilee to dismantle this foolproof question. He just destroyed it in no time at all. He exposed their motives, their duplicity, their hypocrisy, and he convicted them of it. You guys need to go. I know what you're trying to do here and it's not going to work. They have to walk away silent with their tail between their legs. There's no other response that they can make to Jesus's answer. They go back to the ringleader, the Pharisees, and they have to say, hey, we did exactly what you told us to do, but he got us good. He got us real good. We weren't ready for that answer. So I don't know what you want us to do now. As a church, though, those few verses, I think they're still important for us. I, th I think there's still things that we can glean from them. And it may not be things you want to hear, but, but it's important that we walk verse by verse through the Bible to hear things that we may not want to hear. I know I personally have sat around a table more often than I care to admit with a group of people and talked about how taxes are this or that, or we shouldn't do this. And the government, if they just did this, it'd be so much better. I, I, have, I have complained and griped more than I care to admit. I, I've been a part of that conversation. And the reason it's such an easy conversation to get into is because everyone can do the simple math. I make this much, but I only see this much on my check. Where is that going? What's, what is better in my life because of this? We, we can all have that gripe. And they had that gripe 2,000 years ago. But there's some things we should ponder in this short passage. First, Jesus says it. A government has the right to tax its people. They have the right to do that. And when we either don't pay or cheat on our taxes, we're defrauding the government, which happens to be an ordained by God entity. And now I know most of us don't think of it that way, but we really should. The New Testament's very clear about this. The rulers, the authorities, the powers, the governments, those are all placed by God. And he is working and using them to execute his will. And you're like, I am struggling to see that. Sometimes we just need to have the whole picture in order to see how God really is working and moving. Romans chapter 13 is probably the most famous passage 
that discusses this. Romans 13, verses 1 through 3, says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So we should be subject to the governing authorities because God has established them. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. When we blatantly disregard the law, the rules, the government, we're going to bring judgment upon ourselves, not only from the government, but also from God because he instituted it. He brought it into play. Paul gets more specific just a few verses down, Romans 13, verses 5 through 7. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities. We have to voluntarily place ourselves under the authority, not only because of the possible punishment that the authority can bring, the IRS, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why we pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Now, I, I'm sure many of you watching, listening today, you may be paid by the government. Taxes pay your salary. This is how it works. We pay so that we might have governing authorities. Verse 7, give to everyone. This is where it becomes biblical Gospel, godly. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If you owe revenue, then pay revenue. If you owe respect, then pay or give respect. If honor, then honor. It doesn't matter if we don't want to submit to a government because we don't like how it's run. We don't favor the person in charge. We submit to the government because it's an institution of God. It's his. He has placed this institution in power. Are there times biblically to speak out and rebel against the government? Yes. But they're few and they're rare. It is when the government demands that you sin, that you act in disobedience to Scripture, so we are absolutely supposed to rebel, protest, fight when there are petitions, laws signed into action or people showing up on your doorstep saying that you have to, have to disobey God because the government says so. Then you rebel. In my 42 years, there's many things that the government has done that I don't like, I don't respect, but I have to follow because they've never come to my doorstep and said, you have to disobey God. When that happens, you stand up. It hasn't happened in my life. So, what do we do? Church, I'm going to get very real with you for the next few moments. I think we need to stop believing that the government is going to fulfill the role of the church. The church is the only entity that can fulfill the role of the church. If you want the government to pass legislation and move in ways that the church is supposed to move and advocate for, so be it. 
but that's not the role of government. That's the role of the church. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are called to step out, whether we like the administration or we don't. We are the church. And we are called to move forward with the will of God for our community and for our own life. And we need to stop blaming the government for where it falls short because it was never the intent of the government to fix our world. That's Jesus's job. And now it's the job of the church. When it says in scripture, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, give him what's his. And don't complain, but give back to God what is God's. And so what has God given you? The answer, everything. He's given you your life first and foremost. A life that he breathed into you, that he created for you. A life that he bought at a very steep cost, the cost of his one and only son. It's bad to rob the government, but it's far worse to rob God of what he's due. Will you give back to him what is his? Your life. Will you surrender your life to him? Will you live for him, obey him? Will you be the church? Will you be the ones that move forward and advocate for love and justice and mercy? Will you do that as a result of what he's already given you? Give back to God what is God's. Do so because he loves you and he chose to love you first. Paying taxes and following God, neither, neither one of those are easy. But both of them we do because at the end of the day, it brings honor and glory to him. And it allows us to function as we were intended to function. It allows us to live as we were intended to live. And so church today, as we talk about paying taxes from the Bible, you probably didn't expect that. I want to know more importantly, are you giving back to God what he's given to you? Are you surrendering your life to him? Are you walking every day in step with him for his purpose and for his glory? And if you're not, then will you take this moment to look at your life? To look at your life and to ask the question, how can I do that? It may require repenting and turning from sin. It may require completely surrendering certain areas of your life you're holding on to, certain idols. Whatever it takes, will you surrender your life to him? Give back to him what is his and allow him to use you for his kingdom, for his purpose, and for his glory. I pray that you will. And as a church, when we decide to do that, we will honor and glorify him. Father, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for your son, Jesus in whom we have eternal life through grace because of faith. May you walk with us as we seek to surrender our lives to you. Help us to do that, Lord, in a complete and total way. We love you and we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.